Hi everyone and welcome back for another edition of the Time Out podcast by Basketball England where we've got a great addition to our growing list of fantastic guests that we've had so far. I'm Mark Jones and today I'll be talking to Rebecca Orlings, an official for Basketball England and the first we've had on the pod. We discuss a range of topics from how she got into the sport and why she chose officiating over coaching. We also discuss the Black Lives Matter movement as well as her being one of the few black officials in the country. There's that and more, so I hope you enjoy, and don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, Rebecca, thanks for joining me on the latest episode of the Time Out podcast. Uh, I start usually by asking guests how life has been for them over the last few months, because it has been a strange and weird time, hasn't it? Well, thanks for having me. Um, It's definitely been a strange time, um, and not being able to finish the basketball season has been really, really... um, strange um there's been a lot of time to sort of reflect and look at what I do as an official um what I'm involved in and what I can help with yeah how have you been getting your basketball fixed then I'm heavily involved with um the poly camp so I've been updating stuff via social media for that um watching back some of the games that the BBL have been showing and looking out for some of the um, tutors and trustees from years gone by um, and listening to quite a few podcasts from players, coaches and just getting their perspective on the game. I'll ask you a bit about uh, your role with Polycamp in a bit, but I'm sure after these months away from the court, you must be looking forward to getting back to the game and getting back officiating. Definitely. There's... um, a lot to be doing, especially as there's um, rules changes, and I want to make sure that I'm ready um, to take my rules tests and officiate to the best of my ability. So revision will start soon. It's an interesting one because obviously you're the first official we've had on the podcast, so I just wanted to get an idea of your background in basketball and ask where did your basketball journey start? Well, it actually started at school in North London. Um, some of my PE teachers were professional basketball players and represented the country and they would open the gym before school and after school and that's basically where it started so I was never going to be the best of players but I always wanted to be around the atmosphere of basketball. So is that what made you decide to become an official then? Yeah um, I did my GCSEs, went off to college um, and followed a leisure management route and started getting coaching awards and stuff and that brought me to Birmingham and not a lot of people know that I've actually got coaching qualifications and I started coaching before I started officiating. What was it that made you decide to stop the coaching route and go down the official route sort of full-time then? Well, I, I just fell out of love with coaching. I couldn't say exactly what it was but I just wanted to stay involved and I thought officiating was a great way to do that and some of the people that helped me um, get into coaching within the Birmingham area suggested why don't you come and officiate at the uh, University of Birmingham. Being into the officiating world then rather than the playing who were your idols growing up or who did who influenced you in the world of basketball was it players or was it more officials you looked up to or well um like I say there were people that helped me get to where I am and the person that helped me the most well one of the people that helped me the most would be Peter Mintoft 
um, who's still very heavily involved in the sport of basketball, um, Jeff Booten, Robert English um, and Ian Pollard. Yeah, of course, and we'll speak more about him later. Um, You've channeled your love into officiating rather than coaching and playing, and it's paid off really, isn't it? Because your CV of events you've covered is pretty impressive. Um, There's some great moments in there from... Uh, officiating at uh, GB Games for the men's team, senior women's team, uh, the Paralympics. What sort of moments stick out for you? And have you got a highlight from those kind of moments? Yeah, I've, I've done quite a few tournaments. When I put the list together, it's like, oh, my days. There is a lot here. Um, and in terms of um, able-bodied basketball, one of my highlights has got to be um, Eurobutt. Eurobasket um, game that I did for the women's qualification um, against Lithuania. The atmosphere at Worcester was incredible. It was absolutely amazing. I came away from that game feeling. I was buzzing. I was absolutely buzzing. It was just a great atmosphere, fantastic game, great co-officials, great floor officials from around the world that remembered me from um, the London Prepares tournament and that's got to be one of my highlight games as well as obviously going to um, Paralympics London 2012. Um, Those would probably be my highlights. As you say, you were buzzing from the atmosphere and sort of the emotions around the court and on the court. What's it like as an official when you're there and you've got such an important role in the game, but the the emotion and the adrenaline's there. Do you have to sort of rein it in? How how do you sort of deal with that? I tend to prepare for games by knitting or crocheting and just trying to get my mind in a really calm state in order to be the be as professional as I can. Um, so I can be found somewhere in the crowd, you know, quietly just knitting away and just getting ready for the game. That's how I prepare for the game. So it's it's kind of like a mindfulness practice. Yeah, but then at the same time, I guess, when you say you want to be immersed in the game and the love of the game, it must be a fantastic well career you've had so far that you can be proud of, that you are sort of officiating at the highest level of the game. Definitely. Um, it's like um, one of my other memories is when I got my first cup final um at the NIA um in the days where the national cup final and BBL cup final were held together that atmosphere was absolutely immense and it wasn't all you know plain sailing things went wrong um and the buzz that I get can actually be physical so at that point I was supposed to stand up as 24 second clock operator and I physically couldn't stand up because the buzz was so um, affecting me. So what what did you do? What did you have to do when that happened? Then um, I just finished the the rolls um, and just recouped my um, my thoughts. And the next quarter, I was okay. Stood up and did my tasks as the uh, rule stated. <laughs> um, and that's why now I try and be as calm as possible to make sure that the physical elements of the, the, the feelings don't affect how I officiate. Was there ever any moments in a game where, as you say, you've been able to keep everything in check, but has there ever been a game, like you say, when the atmosphere's been that great and you've just allowed yourself a second to say, oh, wow, I'm officiating at a game like this? I, I tend to 
have those most days when I officiate games because I try and officiate all of my games at the same level. So if it's an under-13s game or an under-16s game and it goes into triple overtime or it's a Div 2 men's game and, you know, there's three points in it with two minutes to go or it's a BBL game and it's um, televised, I try and keep it on the level for all of those levels of games. Something you've mentioned in well, before we recorded the podcast, was that in 2005 you were told that you were dyslexic and you said it's meant you've had to change certain aspects of how you prepare for games and things, but I just wanted to get an insight into how that has affected your officiating career. Yeah, um, as some people will know, that we take rules tests on many occasions and as part of the table officiating qualifications, obviously there are tests to take and I'd, con- I'd keep failing them and couldn't work out why, even though I could officiate a really high-level game to the best of my ability. So when I found out I was dyslexic, it answered a lot of questions to how I prepare things. So when I take rules tests, somebody reads the questions to me, when I'm preparing a score sheet, I have to take extra time to make sure I can spell everything properly. If I'm unsure of the spellings, when I get team lists, I will go back to coaches and ask. Um, and I just take a little bit more time before the game. So when the rules changed and we, it was at least 40 minutes before the start of the game that a team list needed to be given, that just was, you know, delightful for me because it meant that I had plenty of time to make sure my score sheets were prepared. Yeah, and that just adds to your long list of achievements of your officiating career. But as you mentioned earlier, um, you're heavily involved with the poly camp, the refereeing and officials camp. You've mentioned you do the social media for them and you have a good, you had a good relationship with uh, Ian Pollard, didn't you? So I just wanted to get uh, your views on what the camp means to you and your whole role in it uh, and what else you get up to with the poly camp. Uh, the camp is just, a way to give back. Um, if it wasn't for Polly, I wouldn't have got to where I've got to. He helped um, source a course so I could get my level three, um, introduced me to other officials across the country, told it how it was, you know, so if you did a bad job or you needed to improve in areas, he, he, he told you. Um, but in terms of me being involved in the camp, it's my way of giving back. I don't run, I'm not going to be running 10Ks to raise any um, money for the camp because people need to remember that it's not just the camp, there's a fund that helps officials that need help to develop. Um, and I'm not running any 10Ks anytime soon to raise money. So <laughs> I want to give my time. Um, and that's how I got involved. It also gave me an opportunity to improve my photography. Um, and the rest is history. Um First year, we tried to organise the table officials side of the camp. We didn't get any numbers. <laughs> so we had to um, call it a day and we came back to the next year. We got the numbers. Um, and if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have been going into our third year of the table officials camp. I know where you're coming from when you say you won't be running any 10Ks anytime soon. <laughs> so- Not a chance. No, especially during the lockdown, I not exercised half as much as I should, I don't think. As you say, it's been very important for you, but how important do you think 
this camp and funders as a whole for developing officials and getting more officials in the game? Oh, it's paramount. It's absolutely paramount. Um, because we're so spread out, it's a way to get together. It's a way to develop and learn, work with different people. Um, if you want to try something new, so there's lots of campers that have gone to tournaments abroad and have had um, help get into those those tournaments. Um, if you need kit and financially you're, you're struggling, there's, there's ways and means of helping that way. Um, and just recently... We've um, helped support um, referees that wanted to join an online table official um, referees um, camp um, based in Gran Canaria, but online, with some of the best referees across the world. So, you know, we get made aware of different opportunities and we share those with people if it's ways to help them develop moving forward. Uh, The next topic we wanted to discuss is something that I know you mentioned to us through getting in touch with us on social media and that is the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts and feelings of the events and discussions that have taken place over the last couple of months. Yeah, um, obviously on Blackout Tuesday, um, BE put out a post and I just thought it was a bit hollow. Um, so I became a keyboard warrior and again we see quite a few of those that just you get behind the keyboard and you're just typing away and it's like, right, let's let's see what they've really got to say. Oh, they they can't just put this out there. Um, because it's been really quite emotional. Um seeing the videos that people have posted over and over again, um, being reminded of some of the deaths of um black men in the UK, it just brought it all to mind. Also, there was an incident at a game and that came to the forefront of my mind. So I just had to say something and want to work with Basketball England to see how we can make changes and see how Black Lives Matter really does matter in basketball. Yeah, you alluded to a game there. and So I was going to ask you next. What have your experiences of racism been in your life, both in and out of basketball? And you say you're in dialogue with us now. What would you like to see from organisations such as Basketball England and the British basketball community uh, as their next steps? Yeah, um, I've been involved, involved with basketball for over 30 years. And up until February, I'd never come across any direct incidences of racism in basketball ever so when I see a player throw a banana at a bunch of black kids in the crowd who then threw the banana onto the court it's not acceptable it's not acceptable um because I then was on my knees cleaning that banana off the court crying my eyes out because the one place I felt safe was at basketball and that's now not safe for me. So moving forward, I also mentioned I'm probably one of few black officials at the highest level of the game. What are we doing to help others get to that high level? What are we doing to um, show that, you know, the sport, you know, we've got all of these black players. How do we support them? How do we support black coaches improve and develop and 
get more officials. And if I can sit and help, you know, I made a suggestion of maybe having a, a listening session where black players, black coaches can sit and give their opinions on what difficulties they face. Because I can't talk for another black person in the game because I don't know exactly what their difficulties have been. I can't say that I've had many difficulties, but I've also been told that I was given a game, a, a major game, because I added colour. So does that mean that all the games and all the um, highlights that I've given are there because I'm making up the numbers or because I'm actually good enough? So how do we make sure that nobody else has those kind of impressions and gets a fair chance to develop? Yeah, and from those initial discussions and dialogue that's open with Basketball England, are you confident that this is the right way forward and the next steps are there to eradicate this from the sport and make sure it's an equal sport for everyone? Yeah, it, it seems different. Um, what we've also got to remember that these things don't change overnight. You can't expect an instant change to something that's been going on for as long as it has across the whole world. So I don't expect Basketball England to all of a sudden say that this is going to be the way or we're going to get, you know, another 50 black officials up to level four in both refereeing and um, table officiating because it's not going to happen overnight. We've got to give everybody a fair chance to know what the pathways are, what they need to do, the timescales it takes to get to where they want to be. And if I can be there to help and support, then I will be. Yeah, and uh, we're we're lucky to have you as well, Rebecca. And thank you for being so open and honest with your experiences. And it'll be great to have you on board with the organisation as we look to sort of move forward with this. You said you don't see yourself as a role model and more of a mentor, but from those sort of experiences you've had and the career you've had, I'm sure you. I'm sure you are. Uh, must see yourself as a role model a little bit, but as one of the few black officials in British basketball, do you think you are a role model in that sense? No, <laughs> <laughs> I I go to the games to be the best official that I can be. I want to be. It, the analogy I use is, I'm like the legs of a swan. Everything looks smooth, so it doesn't affect the game. The players get to play. I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but if I can, you know, be a role model or be seen as a role model, then that's all well and good. But I don't ever see myself as a role model. I just want to be there to help other people have the opportunities that I've had. You say about being more of a mentor. Is there any young officials that have come through that you've sort of put an arm around or given advice to as they make their way through their career as an official? Yeah, obviously being involved with um, Polycamp, you see officials come through the ranks and there are officials that have attended Polycamp in the last few years that have joined the BBL group, um, have been um, given the opportunity to do some major tournaments and finals and it just makes me proud. It really does make me proud of what they've achieved and what we've achieved um, to get them to that point. Yeah, and it's it's great to hear you doing that and hopefully more officials can come through. And as we've mentioned, it'd be nice to increase the number of black officials and those from ethnic minorities in British basketball. 
you said what you'd like to see happen in the process of the Black Lives Matter movement. What would you like to see happen in the process of increasing the number of those officials in the British game? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to identify where those officials are. Um, You know, are there a lot of black officials in London or near Bristol or Leeds or Manchester that are just not getting seen? What, What can we do to help that? So being originally from London, if there's officials in London that want to be observed and I can get there, let's make it happen. Let's help them get the support on developing by, you know, giving them the opportunity. Or, you know, if there's other people that are in the area that can observe or, you know, there's a number of officials that might say, Becky, if you're in the area, can you come and have a look at this table official? I think they're really good. You know, they just need a bit of confidence. They need a little um, step up, you know. Let's let's make it happen. Yeah, and... As you've been a mentor for some officials already in the game, do you have any advice or words of encouragement for those who love basketball but may not necessarily have considered officiating as a career in the game? Officiating is a way to stay involved. You get to watch the whole game. You get to you have an awareness of everything that's going on. So I think it's quite important that players do officiating courses so they can understand what the officials are calling why they have to wait before they um, go on court and get a full understanding of the game. Also, um, it's helped support me um, when I was a student um, and couldn't afford to buy food. Um, So, you know, the expenses do help, I'm not going to lie. But that's not what it's all about. So, you know, get involved, stay involved and know that it's it's a bigger part of the community. It's always nice to end with a look to the future. So have you got any aims and hopes for when basketball does finally return or anything outside basketball that you want to achieve? Well, um, just going to manifest this one out there. Commonwealth Games are going to be in my new home city just down the road. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the development of what happens with that side of things, seeing that it's not um, a full game of basketball, it's three on three. Um, looking forward to getting back to the local clubs that I um, officiate at and all the um, development that they're doing. And we'll just wait for it to happen. Obviously, it's not happening quick enough for most people, but we've just got to try and stay patient. Like I said, revision starts soon, working towards what we can do to help each other, keep in touch with each other and just be as ready as we can be when the time comes. It's been great to talk to you, Rebecca, and get your views and insights into the range of topics we discussed this afternoon. So I just want to say thanks for taking your time to talk to me and um, all the best for next season. Um, Thank you and all the best to you, Mark. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify. So please like, subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.